Welcome to the Here to Evolve podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Alessandra. And in this podcast, we take topics from both health and fitness, as well as the business side of things. We run two businesses, SD Evolution and Fit Coach Pro, and have a pretty unique perspective because we've had a lot of success, but we are not quite at the top of the food chain yet. Our mission is to help break down these topics so you can learn in an easy to digest manner and apply them into your daily life. So let's hop into today's episode. Today's episode is going to be a little bit new. It's going to be a Q&A day. Q&A day. Should we go with the first one or the second one? What? Q&A day. Or Q&A day. <laughs> first one. We've done Q&As in the past, but moving forward, we are now going to be doing weekly Q&As here on the podcast. So if you follow along on Instagram, I'll post a question box specifically for podcast Q&As every Monday. And you guys can submit your questions and we will answer them all here on the show. What do you got? First question. How do you manage unpredictable sleep with small kids? And this person is a solo parent. So Just let your parents sleep at your house and uh, you sleep through the night. <laughs> let those fuckers deal with We've it. We've never done that. Not once. I didn't say we did it. I said that's how they can do it. I think that there are seasons of life and... I actually think I answered this on Instagram recently on just my normal Q&As, but you know, we're we're all going through different seasons of life and you may be in a season where your sleep is struggling due to reasons that are outside of your control like tiny little humans. And if this is you, you know, you have to focus on what you can control. So is how does your bedtime routine look? Are you sleeping in a dark, cool and quiet environment? Um, you know, what factors do you have control over when it comes to your sleep if you're staying up super late and watching tv for two hours before bed and just kind of like not putting yourself in the best possible scenario for sleep it's going to be even worse so prioritize getting to bed maybe a little bit earlier winding down in the right way before you go to bed to set yourself up for good sleep getting that morning sunlight if you can like within i think what does huberman say 30 minutes within 30 minutes of waking getting outside getting some sunlight in your eyes obviously don't stare directly at the sun um all of those things have been shown to positively impact our sleep so control what you can control understand that you know it's probably not going to be perfect right now but when it comes to managing this and going about your daily tasks and exercise and whatever your goals are it's kind of something that you have to you have to figure out where you draw that line right so if you got a really really crappy night of sleep your baby woke up six, seven, eight times and, you know, you are just completely run down, exhausted. It might not be the best day to exercise, but like if you, if you're just consistently getting woken up a few times every night and more so than not, your sleep routine right now is consistent. Sometimes you just got to power through and, and the benefits of exercise may outweigh not doing anything at all. So you have to figure out what that looks like for you, but ultimately, Control what you can control and then decide if you want to push through or if you want to scale back for that day. And diving into the control what you can control aspect, myself personally, I know plenty of others, it's just a reaction. When things are not ideal, when stress is a lot higher, we tend to make worse decisions. So we eat poorly, we don't move as optimally, just general cognitive function just isn't there as, as much as it should be, obviously. But as a whole, we tend to make worse choices when stress is really, really high. 
Um, so just kind of be aware of that. Again, be aware so you can address the issue. That's the biggest thing, be aware. So understand what's happening and do your best to continue to make better decisions specific to your sleep routine in regards to this question. So, you know, everything she just mentioned, the more routine you can develop, the better. And obviously, you know, kids are, young kids are very unpredictable. Um, but a lot of times if you can get them into a routine and they're waking up at the same times throughout the night, you can still adapt to that as well. So it takes some time. It's going to be an absolute grind in the early stages, but eventually there is some semblance of a routine starting to establish and it is up to you to take advantage of that as well. So it's not staying up late. Oh my God, you know, I need to just veg out and watch TV for a couple hours. Like you're going to want to do that. Like you're going to want some you time to just think about nothing, but your body is going to want that consistent routine where you are going to bed and you are trying to maximize as much as you can. So it's not going to be perfect, but be aware and just, you know, make the best decisions as consistently as possible. So you can allow your body to adapt in some way, shape or form. Question two, why are seed oils quote unquote bad for us, but seeds in general are good for us? So this one is actually something I've been interested in as well recently. Um, we order from ButcherBox and we have uh, ground chicken, which is actually made in sunflower seed oil. And the ground chicken meatballs or the chicken meatballs we make from that ground chicken are delicious. They're, they're, they're much better they're than so like much the, better than the, the store-bought. Purdue chicken that we get at the store. A thousand times. They just, they stay more soft and moist when you're eating them. It's just, it's crazy. But I've heard this as well. So there isn't a ton of research. There's not a ton of data on this yet to this point. So the concept essentially is that when you're cooking with these seed oils, they can change. So they can become oxidized and through that oxidization, oxidization, oxidization. Anyway, after it's oxidized, there can be some more inflammatory components within that. So I don't want to dive in too deep because I honestly don't have a ton of feedback to share on this topic, partly because there isn't a lot of research on that. But I think that's essentially the main component. People will talk about calories, but the calories are a balance of their own. So it's not inherently bad to consume more calories. That's We're not worried about the calorie dense topic there. Um, I think it's just the oxid... oxid nope. You're no, say oxidized don't even try. Once they become oxidized through the cooking process, I think that's where some people are trying to raise some red flags. Is creatine safe to use while breastfeeding? So when you want it, your baby to be swollen or not. <laughs> when it comes to any supplementation during pregnancy or when you are breastfeeding, you have to weigh the pros and cons. So there obviously is not a ton of research done on pregnant and breastfeeding women just because who's going to want to volunteer to put their body or their baby up for potentially some kind of adverse effect, right? Um, however, there are some studies out there and I think it's just something you sort of have to weigh for yourself. If you are familiar with supplementation, you'll know on I think most or if not all supplements, there's usually some sort of disclaimer that they are not recommended for pregnant women. This is on everything from protein powder to greens and reds to creatine to everything. It's just, it's by law, I believe, something that they have to put on there to sort of just cover their butts. But obviously there are certain things you want to stay away from, obviously during pregnancy, like you don't want super high caffeine pre-workouts or things like that. But you have to just weigh the risk versus the reward. So with creatine, that's something that obviously is in our bodies already. We obviously get creatine from food sources. So I would say it 
likely just based on my knowledge wouldn't be harmful however it's something to run by your doctor it's something to sort of weigh the pros and cons and figure out like is this something you need to be taking right now or can it wait till you're done breastfeeding you know so I think it's going to be different for everybody I know people who have taken creatine throughout their entire pregnancy and postpartum experiences I know people who have stopped taking most supplements throughout their pregnancy and postpartum experiences you have to do what you're most comfortable with weigh the pros and cons and go from there but know that there's no like hard yes or no rules on most things like that um it's going to be dependent on what your doctor recommends and what you really are comfortable with i'm going to read the next one while you grab me the computer charger before this dies in the middle of this episode okay how to know if you should oh no We'll skip that one. First one while we're on the pregnancy topic. What are your thoughts on using pregnancy as a bulk phase? So this I've heard a lot before. And, you know, it, it when you think of a bulk phase, right, a bulk phase is consuming a surplus of calories. So during pregnancy, we obviously... As you progress through each trimester, not so much in the first trimester, but in the second and third trimesters, you're going to need a little bit more calories, not quite as much as most people think, um, but your, your body needs more calories to obviously help your baby grow, help you feel your best and, you know, accommodate for pregnancy. So I think the mindset of thinking of pregnancy as a bulk phase is great because we know that lifting weights during pregnancy is something that's recommended in healthy pregnancies by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. So you're lifting weights, you're in a slight surplus of food. And as far as just pushing your body with lifting and what that looks like during pregnancy, as a very blanket general recommendation, you want to be most times somewhere at like an RPE of a seven, maybe an eight max. So we're not maxing out during pregnancy. Um, You know, there's been some very new preliminary research. Um, I think it was a cohort study, Dr. Christina Previtt. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, I'll link her in the show notes, but she actually ran the study. She has lifted throughout her pregnancies and is a very big advocate of pregnant women lifting. Um, the study looked at pregnant women who volunteered for the study, basically. So it's not one of the reasons why this is preliminary is because people are just kind of volunteering for it. And it's um, there aren't very hard rules as far as what they're doing. It's more so just tracking what they were going to do anyway throughout their pregnancy. But they looked at pregnant women, I think it was lifting at 80% or maybe slightly above their one rep maxes and using the Valsava maneuver during pregnancy and the outcomes were actually really beneficial. So I think that number one, you have to do what you're comfortable with. Like I kind of mentioned about the supplementation during pregnancy as far as lifting goes, but number two, you shouldn't be scared to push yourself either. So I think approaching pregnancy as a bulk phase, quote unquote, is a great way to think about it. And it's something that I... I think I sort of thought about it this way, not necessarily like, oh, I'm bulking, this is pregnancy, but like it just happens to be the same things that are occurring in a bulk phase. So I think this is great. Next question, how do you know if you should cut or bulk first? Start by, you know, taking into account your current body composition. Um, So if you are quote unquote an average build, 
you know, you're not super overweight, you're not super lean. Um, I would recommend probably bulking first, and then you can focus on a, a longer duration cut slash maintenance, you know, cycle through because you're going to spend more time adding muscle, and it's a little bit easier to add muscle when you're not super super lean. Um, there is a, a nice little balance there once you're at you know a quote unquote again balanced level. If you are already pretty overweight, we're not bulking first. We're going to go straight into that cut. You're going to maintain muscle because you have so much more you know, fat to work with. Um, it's just easier to maintain that. And that's why, you know, you see some of these heavier people come through with incredible transformations and they come out looking like a Greek God because they've been, uh, you know, marinating all this muscle for a while. I'm going to just leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) I think for, if you're somebody who's listening, who is sort of a newbie in the gym, you're, this is your first time either lifting weights or this is your first time following an actual progressive program. I think at the very least, you should be focusing on maintenance and not doing a cut right away. Like if you don't have a solid amount of muscle on your body right now, you're not going to be really happy if you do a cut first. Weight changes, but body composition doesn't really because there's not much to show for it. Yeah. So I think at the very least, if you're new to lifting, focus on maintenance, if not a slight surplus. And then, you know, after six, eight, maybe even a full year, um, you know, then maybe you think about doing a cut, but so well, the key with that. So if you are focusing on maintenance is that you are still focusing very heavily on progressive overload in the gym. So it's not just going through the motions while you're consuming at maintenance. You can't gain muscle without that. No, you have to be getting stronger over time and be doing the same similar motions. So you're not changing your workout every day. You're not changing your workout every week. You're going through a minimum of a four week plan to allow your body to adapt. Ideally, that's probably closer to eight to 12 weeks as you cycle through and do different things within each program. Um, But again, if you're eating at maintenance and training the same way, you're going to look exactly the same, be very frustrated after that year. So prioritizing maintenance while also focusing heavily on progressive overload in the gym and getting as strong as possible. Can small workout snacks, which she defines as five to 10 minutes here or there, be as effective as one big workout? I think... Stockless Fitness coined this term, I believe, or uses this term a lot. Um, So I want to really just focus on how this question was worded because it was asked, can these snacks, workout snacks, be as effective as one big workout? I think it depends on what your specific goals are. I think in most cases for most... Can we just answer it directly and then go around it? Go ahead. You can answer it directly. The answer is no. It's not going to be as effective as one big workout. Can you still have an effective day by implementing workout snacks? Absolutely. And see progress. Yes. Absolutely. But no, it's not... To answer it specifically, no, it will not be as effective as one big workout. Amen. You can dive in further if you wanted. I just wanted to jump in That was really... I mean, I just wanted to highlight like... It's not as effective, but it, there still could be purpose to doing that, especially if you're maybe you're currently struck. You, you just don't have 50 to 60 minutes to get in your workout. Or maybe there's a day where you're really short on time and you want to do something over nothing. Yes, that still counts and that still is beneficial. Um, but when it comes to like the most effective possible way to train, no. Minimizing saturated fats and daily recommendations. This isn't question per se but um i think she's asking just how to minimize daily saturated fats and what the daily recommendations are so what are your thoughts or do you want me to dive into it take it when it comes to 
your diet and the foods that you're consuming, I think instead of focusing on what you need to take out and what you need to minimize, we should be focusing on what whole foods can we add in and how many more plants can we add in our day and what can we add in that can contribute to our overall healthy lifestyle and what makes us feel our best. So I like the perspective of what can we add in rather than what can we take out. So I think that is a sort of indirect way of minimizing your saturated fats. Um, And I don't think it's something where you need to be super hyper-focused on the daily recommendations because then it's like, well, how many saturated fats can I fit in without negatively impacting things? But like we should be focused on whole nutrient-dense sources of food for the majority of our meals, the majority of our food intake. That's going to make you feel the best. That's going to help you just in all areas of training, of feeling your best internally, digestion, your energy levels, and all of that. So I think flip the script. It's not about what we need to minimize or take out. It's about what we need to add in. And I think we spent too much time focusing on playing macro Tetris and like even micro Tetris. How can I make these all fall into the perfect spots and you know, whatever, and it can be overwhelming. It can lead to burnout and it can also be pretty ineffective. And we often can still opt, no, I don't want to say optimize. That's not the right word. We can often still turn to a lot of processed foods to meet specific targets because we're focusing on numbers rather than the foods. So my personal situation right now, um, as you guys who have been listening for a while know, I've been on a gut health journey for the last decade, very few answers, um, and just not feeling right. You know, a lot of tests come back normal aside from the, uh, the Barrett's esophagus and the complications with that, but all of the tests come back normal. Um, but I just feel very off. So our PA who we just brought on with SD evolution has had uh, me actually get a GI map done to get a better look at what's happening within my body. We found a couple infections. I have a ton of inflammation going on in my gut, and this is something that's probably been on and off, more on than off for the last decade. So this is something we're working through now. I haven't started taking, you know, or diving into the protocol that we're going to be doing yet, and that'll be a whole nother conversation. I'm not talking about that with this. But what I've been doing really since New Year's, and this wasn't a resolution, it just happened to be the way it goes after the holidays. I have had next to no processed sugars. Almost everything I consume is whole foods. My proteins, my carbs, my fats, they are all from whole food sources. So not even knowing where the numbers are falling, I'm not tracking macros, not focusing on saturated fats or, you know, specific types of this, that, and the other. I'm not even tracking fiber right now, which is something I'm very huge on. Um, I am literally just consuming straight whole foods, knowing that the numbers are probably falling very, very close to where they're supposed to be anyway. And I already feel 10 times better. There's plenty going on that I still have to address, but by specifically focusing on consuming whole foods and eliminating all the other bullshit, which you can make work to give you the Sally answer, yes, you can get those things in. I still have some things on a very rare occasion. I'm still enjoying myself when I want it. Point is, I feel better and I don't want those things 99% of the time because I know how my body's changing. And that is specifically from focusing on consuming whole foods. Another question that came up, it's not included in this Q&A, but it came up yesterday on my other Q&A that I was just doing on Instagram is what's the difference between flexible dieting and IIFYM? And to me, that's the biggest difference. So we still will say we follow a flexible diet guideline, but flexible dieting is a spectrum. And how we define flexible dieting is, yes, you're tracking macros oftentimes, but it's less about how much crap can I fit in my day through these macros and more so about 
you know, I'm tracking macros, but also consuming 90% whole nutrient dense foods. Whereas to me, IIFYM or if it fits your macros is more so like how much crap can I fit in my day and still hit my macros? Yes, you're going to lose weight. Yes, you're going to lose body fat. Yes, you're going to see results in that aspect, but you're going to feel like garbage. So flexible dieting is more of a holistic approach in our eyes and in our definition versus IIFYM. All right, protein-rich snacks. That so, kind of falls into the same categories we just yeah, talked about. Yeah, I mean, we're really not huge snackers. I think that when it comes to protein intake, you should be able to hit that generally like 90% of your protein intake from whole food sources, from your main meals. If you're, 90, 100. 100%. Yeah, 100. If you're out there looking for high protein snacks or different ways to get your protein up you're looking for yogurt you're looking for beef jerky those are the answers that you're looking for from this but that's just telling us that you're not consuming enough of a serving size of protein at your main meal so first and foremost before you add in all these protein rich snacks up your current serving sizes of what you're consuming and what i mean by that like let's say if you typically have breakfast you have two eggs with your breakfast and that's not very much protein that's like 10 grams of protein maybe you pour in some egg whites with that or maybe you have high protein bread to go with your eggs or whatever it is add some bacon um increase that serving size of protein first if it's lunch and you're having chicken breast with on a salad or with a rice bowl if you're having two ounces of chicken breast up it to four, double it. And it's going to keep you more satiated. You're not going to want snacks. And also it's just going to be an easy way to increase your protein intake. People hate on salads. That's one of my favorite go-tos. Like you can have a big bowl of seven different vegetables. You can have three, four different types of greens and then throw your shredded whatever on top of that. And then if you're having an actual protein portion size on top of that, four to six ounces of uh, chicken or whatever, you're going to be very full after that. Throw that with uh, some olive oil and vinegar and you're golden. Like it's a very satiating meal and there's no reason to then, because what I'm, reason I'm bringing this up is most of us will have like three chicken strips on top of a salad and call it a chicken salad. If you can make that an actual meal and actually get a protein serving out of that, you're going to be golden. Also lettuce and chicken and dressing is not a salad. Add some like good tasting things to your salad add some plants to your salad some seeds beans different things for some somewhere along the line like in the diet culture realm salads are just lettuce with like a protein source on it and that's like like no wonder why people hate salads that's why you're not eating a salad you're eating lettuce you're also missing a prime opportunity to hit those plant points all right favorite costco finds or grocery item must-haves so I have a lot of Costco like posts on my page. You can go there. Um, generally, though, when we go to the grocery store, how we break it up, maybe not so much recently since we started Butcher Box, but you know, we first write down what protein sources we're getting for the week. So maybe it's ground chicken to make chicken meatballs, some salmon, and some beef, or you know, whatever it is. We pick a few things. Then we pick. I mean, most of our regular grocery shopping we usually go to maybe three times a week to restock on fruits and veggies just because we go through them so fast between me you kai and the dogs um don't let our dogs be eating more fruits and veggies than you you guys so i think when it comes to grocery shopping lay it out as 
as you would think to build your plate. So what are your protein sources that you're getting? What are your starchy carbs that you're getting, whether it's potatoes, rice, things like that. And then what are your fruits and veggies that you're getting? And then maybe sprinkle in some fun stuff, yaso bars, whatever you like. But generally speaking, we buy the same, uh, not the same because we've switched it up with fruits and veggies, but like the same proteins in bulk foods weekly. So to give you reference on the dog food, the meat is either ground Josh beef. Josh makes our dogs their dinners. Cal has to live to be 75, so we pass at the same time because I can't do life without him. So started the whole food stuff. It'll either be ground beef. You're dying at 75? When Cal is 75, how old will I be? Oh, Close to 100. Sorry. <laughs> ground beef, ground bison, ground turkey, or ground chicken. I think, I think Cal's allergic to ground chicken. I think he's always had trouble. He's always been super itchy. So anyway, from there we have spinach, sweet potatoes, brown rice, green beans, peas, canned pumpkin, uh, a seaweed calcium supplement in there. There's some turmeric in there, a little bit of olive olive oil, and am I missing anything? The, the salmon stuff we put on after. Oh, some salmon oil for the omegas. Anyway, like tons of fruits and veggies they'll have they'll snack on berries throughout the day as well so there's the dog plant points but going back to the costco finds specifically i think based on where we're at now like the biggest not secret but the best hidden find is those uh those smoothies those breakfast smoothies mm -hmm. those like are mango really berries they're just kale the frozen the frozen fruit and veggie smoothie mixes that they have they're they actually taste really good and they're super easy they're um pre-packaged like um serving sizes so you just take one out throw it in a blender and you can add some protein or whatever else you want to add to it but they're super easy super nutrient dense and a great way to get some extra plants and fruits and veggies in and then the other hidden find we're talking about limiting processed stuff but when i am getting a hankering on the very rare occasion it is the costco tiramisu and they actually come in these tiny little glasses you can use for like espresso after like you can reuse, I don't know how they're we so cheap because the there's, there's six beautiful glasses that these things come in. They're so. like a little bigger than a shot glass and yeah, we use them for a lot of stuff. All right. Tips to hit your daily water intake. So once your feet hit the ground, drink your glass of water. Yeah. If you guys have been following along on Instagram, that's been a topic I brought back up, but most people don't drink enough water. And if that is you and you feel like you should be drinking more water, get a water bottle that you enjoy for some reason i'm sure there is science to back this up having a straw helps me drink more water throughout the day but if you really have to like if you I have a dirty joke for that one i don't know our, no our audience. you're not gonna say it i don't know our audience for that um i know i forgot what i was gonna say <laughs> um oh so if you're somebody who really just forgets to drink water get a water bottle bring it everywhere with you but also if you need to set an alarm on your phone to remind you to drink water to start this habit do it because you need to change something and you need to start drinking more so that's my biggest tip is just get a water bottle that you really love and carry it around with you everywhere you go all day i have nothing to add to that all right favorite fiber foods let's go fiber guy well there shouldn't be one favorite food because we're going to fall into a habit of being pulled into that food. So the super tip with super fiber is to be super diverse. Every different source of fiber that you're consuming is feeding a different species of, of 
bacteria in your the good bacteria in your gut microbiota. So if you're limiting to you know five of your, your favorites every single week, you're only feeding those five species, and every different one again has its own superpower. Whether they're producing hormones or vitamins or whatever, regulating sleep and mood. Eat as many different, this is why we talk about whole foods, eat as many different whole foods as you can, different plants, so different fruits, different veggies, different legumes, different lentils, different whatever. Go to the store, go down the produce aisle, when we were doing that, uh, finding new foods, or eat, what was it, eating weird shit? Was that the first title? Yeah, people got mad at you for that, that. Um, I talked about just going down there and closing your eyes and grabbing something from five different areas, something you have not had before. If something looks weird, grab it and try it. It's got its own type of nutrient profiles, things you may be deficient in or have not had in a while. So in general, I mean, we typically stock up on, you know, raspberries and blackberries, bananas, chia seeds, um, seed, sweet potatoes, seed. brown rice. I mean, nothing fancy, but it's Dates all about killer bread. Yeah, but it's all about diversity. It's it's not getting sucked into that one thing. Dragon fruit, that's Kai's new favorite. For whatever reason, it's the most beautiful fruit, and it tastes like water, but we love it for some reason. just feels really good in your mouth. Um, so, yeah. I had a dirty joke for that one. I guess we're just uh, on It's our probably the today. same joke. Yeah, that's, that's good. I have nothing to add to that. So, next question. Tracking triggers my binge eating habits because I restrict. How can I learn to have a healthy relationship with food and reach my goals? I focus on protein and veggies, but then I snack in the evening. So lots of things to unpack here. Um, tracking triggers my binge eating habits because I restrict. So tracking should not be restrictive. Mindset. Yeah, mindset this is all have. about mindset. So there should be no restriction when it comes to tracking your macros because you have the freedom to eat pretty much what i'm not going to say whatever you want but if you really want to fit something in your your day for your macros you can and there is no restriction but like we touched upon previously you know you do need to be focusing on whole nutrient dense food sources but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean your food has to be bland and boring either so learning how to season your food and make meals that actually you know taste really good i think oh what's her instagram it's I think her Instagram is called Oh Snap Macros. She has some great uh, recipes on her blog and some cookbooks you can buy, but they look delicious. I haven't personally tried them yet, but her her food looks delicious and it's all very quote-unquote macro-friendly. So I think your mindset is holding you back a little bit there. Um, and that feeds into having a healthy relationship with food. So it might just be the way that you are going about tracking that's holding you back. Um, however, there are some instances where learning other ways to eat without tracking can be beneficial. And this is something our coaches work on too with some of our clients who are either in a season of not wanting to track or have put in the time and are transitioning away from tracking. Um, you know, just learning how to measure portion sizes without tracking is beneficial too. But I think that, you know, it all comes back around to mindset and it sounds like you're just eating protein and veggies throughout your whole day. And then it's like you want to overeat at night because you're limiting yourself throughout the day. Make your meals exciting. Make your meals something that you look forward to and you're not going to feel that when you get to your evenings. I have been bland Bruno when it comes to food for most of my adult life, just because I was always stuck in the hit your macros deal. I would eat plain, bland chicken, rice. I would drink cartons of egg whites. Like I didn't care, but I think I've evolved and I had a goal of when we bought the house to become better at cooking, um, just to enjoy my meals, which I definitely do. And I 
I hope I'm getting better at cooking. You're, you do, you are getting better and you just cook so much more than you ever have before. Ever. It's kind of what you do when there's not a lot to do besides work and raise a child now. <laughs> look for fun things to create in the kitchen. Did, oh, you going it's going to wrap up that thought. That? Yeah. You, so you can, <laughs> uh, you can make healthy foods taste, taste a lot better than, uh, than they should. But going back to the mindset, it's a restriction. So as soon as you see numbers in front of you and you, ha- you are quote unquote restricted to these numbers, you feel as though you cannot have certain things. So kind of removing that is going to be step one, being aware that that's there, but understanding, hey, if I want this, I can have it. It's not that I can't have it. I will say, going back to Whole Foods, again, this is going to be the topic for 90% of these answers. When you get into like day three or day four of literally eating, I would say almost 100% of Whole Foods, like everything you consume, everything you put in your body is a Whole food. And a variety. A variety, but the, just Whole Foods in general. You will start craving those things rather than the processed shit that you think you are restricted from having right now. So that's why it's so much easier for me now. Like I say, I'm eating almost entirely Whole Foods. I looked at a carton of ice cream last night. My mom brought for someone's birthday. It's... I think it's friendlies and it's like the the ice cream cake. I had the it the other shit. night and I will confirm it was it didn't make me feel good and it just wasn't it didn't taste good. Well, I stared at it and I really wanted it and I picked it up and I was about to scoop it and I said I don't actually want this and I put it back down. I think I had cherries or something. Because I I now have that differentiation. There was a time where I would have the biggest fucking bowl of that ice cream that you can imagine just because I kind of wanted it and I would fill that bowl. I put it back down and I had a fruit and I felt really good and it the, the cherries hit the spot. Like that's my go-to at night. Like having something sweet. Sometimes it's dark chocolate, like 85% um, cacao. Is that how you say it? Cacao? I think so. Cacao. <laughs> um, but once I hit that fix from a healthy source, like I'm good. So you will crave good things by consuming good things more frequently and eliminating those processed things. So kind of take all those things into account and, and balance it as you see fit. What app do you use to track food? We love and have loved for eight years now, the My Macros Plus app. Um, That's what we recommend to our clients. I have a few YouTube videos, like literally walking you through how to utilize it best. It's with any new app you use, there's going to be a learning curve, but it's much better than MyFitnessPal. They don't charge you extra to like set your exact macros and it doesn't have the silly little like... uh, calories burned or like eat this amount back like my fitness pal does is 12 weeks too long to stick to a workout program i hear to do it for at least four weeks but you don't really hear anything like as far as a max so no 12 weeks is good i think four to 12 weeks is going to be your sweet spot um eight obviously being the middle of that some programs will be closer to the four some some programs will be closer to the 12th um I think if you are going 12 weeks, it will be important to make minor shifts. So maybe you keep the same layout, but maybe you adjust reps or maybe you, you know, cycle through a little bit less volume and end up cycling back up to a little bit of overtraining for the final week of a certain um, micro part of that. So every four weeks, maybe you rotate it down, rotate it back up in regards to the volume. I think keeping the same exercises, maybe swapping in one or two finishers, um, would be great, but I think there's there's nothing wrong with extending that to 12 weeks. I think that's still within a very optimal range. The reason why we do four-week blocks for our app programming is just because we know most of those humans are people who get bored easily. So we do the minimum so that they get a new workout program for each month, but still getting the benefits of spending time getting good at each movement. Um Fitness and its effects on libido, pros and cons. 
two ends of that spectrum. So obviously not doing enough and, and doing too much. Um, both can be positive and negative. So if you are overtraining, very negative effect on libido. If you are not training enough, very negative effect on libido. If you are hovering in the middle where you are eating well and you are training frequently, but you are not overtraining and you're recovering optimally, very positive effect on libido. Um, so this is very similar to undereating and overeating. Like if you're undereating and if you get down to a super low body fat percentage, very low libido because your hormones are very out of balance. Everything we talk about is always about balance, whether it's about balancing whole foods, whether it's about balancing activity and balancing recovery and balancing mindset and balance, 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 balance. When you live on opposite ends of the spectrum, and for me personally, like I've lived on the high end of the spectrum for a lot of my life, like I've overtrained, I've done a lot of things to the extreme that has a negative effect on, on libido and overall health just because things get out of whack when that happens. Um, so if you have low libido currently, there's obviously a ton of factors that can go into that. But in regards to specifically fitness, as you asked, ask yourself, you know, where do you fall in regards to training volume? And are you fueling yourself optimally for that? If you're not training very often, once or twice a week, maybe ramp that up. Also look at, you know, the quality of your foods, how much you're consuming. Maybe you track for a couple weeks if you're not currently tracking to see how many calories you're consuming. Um, but if you're training six plus days a week, you know, maybe your your seventh day is a quote unquote active rest day and you're going for a run or you're going for a hike or a long walk, you are overdoing it. So can absolutely play a role. There's obviously several other things that can go into that, but to uh, to do a quick evaluation on your fitness plan and what that could do, those are the things to look for. And last question, sort of related, I guess, on the female, well, not that that wasn't female directed, but working out with your cycle right now, cycle syncing is like the new trend going around and people define this differently but from what i've seen mostly is people will say that in the first part of your cycle so when you get your period leading up to ovulation you should be lifting weights and doing more intense activities hit things like that and then once you ovulate in the second half of your cycle, you should only be doing Pilates or yoga or like very gentle activities. There's issues with this that I have. And the main one is that if you're only lifting for two weeks out of the month, you are not going to see progress. Um, and also like everybody's cycle is different. So I think it's important to pay attention to what your patterns and what your cycle specifically looks like but just because you're in your luteal phase where you might be a little bit more fatigued or have some symptoms um it doesn't mean that you can't lift weights and in my decade of lifting weights i've never shifted my workouts around my cycle if you have severe symptoms like severe pms cramps or just severe mood changes going on in the second half of your cycle there's probably a reason for that and there's things you can do to improve those things this is a big passion of our pa danielle um she talks a lot about cycle syncing we are on the same page with this and if she is her one of her main missions is to help women decrease these symptoms and she's helped so many women come off birth control and, you know, work through these symptoms and improve their lives. You don't have to be suffering. Your period should not be painful. Um, it should not be hindering the fact that you cannot get out of bed or can't do your daily tasks and go to the gym every single month. And if there, if it is that severe, you need to be taking some steps to focus on that. So, um, if that is you reach out to us, we can help you with that. 
she's on the team for a reason and that is a big one so all right if you guys live in connecticut and you enjoy digging holes we're going to be spending some time making a fence because i'm looking at our construction workers in the next lot digging a nice big hole right behind my trees a meetup or something yeah the meetups at our house we're going to dig some holes and build a (laughs) fucking great wall of connecticut it would be fun to do some kind of meetup with you guys so maybe in the summer of 2020 or like in a week if you guys like digging holes (laughs) three all right we're gonna end it here where can they find you at josh scottnick send me a dm in regards to that meetup for digging post holes (laughs) i'm alessandra scottnick everything you need including references i made in this show are linked in the show notes and we'll catch you next week leave a review